Konnichiwa, and welcome to the Code of the Cardboard Samurai, a podcast all about Magic the Gathering in Japan. In this podcast, our goal will be to inform people both around and outside of Japan what is going on in the magic scene here. I'm your host, Ryan Schwenk, the Japan hobbyist out of Yokohama, and today I'm joined by uh, a person who needs no introduction. Uh, they've been on the show a few times before, uh, Ed Nguyen. Hey, how's it going? Right? Uh, close enough, close enough. I'm so sorry. I need more practice. I need to like just say your name one day in a row, you know, just like all day long. That, that's really weird. What, <laughs> like more people would think you were just like walking around like chanting my name. Like that would be really, really bizarre. But how's it going this morning? Like, I'm, tra- I'm trying to summon you to Japan because you, you did come. <laughs> yes. I was practicing the other week and you came to Japan. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're in Osaka today? Yes. I'm currently here hanging out with my friend in Osaka. <clears throat> So I know there's no events this week, so you're just kind of shopping and, like, what are you working on? Uh, yes, I'm here for the um, for the release event. There's uh, Throne of Eldraine, which obviously mm-hmm. came out on Friday, and then uh, there's actually a uh, Pokemon set that came out as well. So I'm kind of here to get the two-for-one, as it were. Okay, that sounds good. Sounds good. It's a value trip. Yes. So, um, you know, we've we've talked before, you've been here on two other episodes, we talked about, uh, you know, MTG Finance in the past, and I think, what was the topic we talked about last time we had you on? Maybe we talked about, like, Asia-specific, you know, uh, cards yep. and whatnot, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, today, I thought we could talk a little bit about trading. So, you come, like you said, you do a lot of shopping here, but you've also said you've been to, like, what, 11 different uh like events or something is that correct uh i've definitely been to a fair few gps here i think i've basically been to all the major locations that mm-hmm. will that will still have them i haven't been to some of the more distant ones but it seems like uh big magic has kind of moved away from you know kind of the more obscure distant gp locations um so i've definitely done my share of events here Okay, so so like you've been to events basically. That's, that's what I'm trying to yes, to come yes. across. So you have a lot of experience at events, and so as somebody who you know does a lot of trading, or you know maybe has a lot of uh, contacts in the vendor world, you know you have a lot of friends, you know maybe that uh, you know sometimes work the booths and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you say like the situation is different between Japan and other places? Because for example, I've never played in a Grand Prix outside of Japan. I have no idea if it's the same or different or whatnot. So if you could shed some light on that, that would be great. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for people... So from my perspective, coming here as an American, as a foreigner, as it were, um, the biggest things that were kind of a shock to me... um, One, training is definitely uh, prevalent. Obviously, it's kind of everywhere, but it seemed to be much less centric than it was in the U.S. In the U.S., there'd be just huge swaths of tables with, you know, people trading. Um, Mm -hmm. I've only been doing this for a few years here in Japan, so I can't really speak to what it was like before. I guess it used to be a much bigger deal, but it's kind of uh, gone by the wayside, as it were. And uh, I think part of that might stem from just the cultural norm that inside stores, uh, parents aren't allowed to trade with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. all, all transactions have to be done in the store. 
So I imagine a big part of that has kind of reflected over to the Grand Prix, which is why you don't really see, um, perhaps from my perspective, that much trading that occurs between kind of the players. Um, so it, so everybody trades overseas. Yes. But not a lot of people trade here. Less, less so. It, it does, it's not quite as prevalent from what from what I've seen in the time that I've been here. How about like the vendor situation? Like, how how is that you know similar or how is that different? Uh, I think with the recent change last year, starting in Shizuoka, once they allowed vendors to start buying cards again, I think that more or less may have been the final nail in the coffin for. Um, for player to player trading, mm-hmm. um, now that you know you, you more or less have the same services are provided as overseas, you know, with people being able to buy cards, take cards and trade, and sell cards, I imagine that trading probably is really not out there anymore. Now that you know they all these are available, because previously, like not being able to buy slash trade to vendors was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, right, people didn't really have a good avenue for them to kind of get rid of their unwanted cards, short yeah, of going to their you know directly to their local game store to sell them. Um, and and part of the draw of going to GPs is that depending on where you live in Japan, uh, there are vendors there that you may not have access to normally, um, and they may you know have certain things that your local game store may not. Um, so so kind of related to that. Um, you know, like I said, you you you've come over here a bunch of times. I met I've met up with you a few times. Uh, between uh, selling at uh, an event or um, going to like your local game store, which one do you think is more advantageous to the player in Japan? I think I think there's uh, obviously there's pros and cons of both. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you obviously want to support your local game store. They provide you a place to play. You know, if you have a good, if you have a good relationship with them, they'll probably be more inclined to sell you things, like, like the brawl decks, the collector boosters. These things are a little harder to come by, probably because they're, they want to prioritize their own customers first as well. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, once you kind of get outside your, you know, your small group. Um, I know some stores get relatively inbred in the sense that they, you know, you more or less have the same types of players um, that come there. You more or less have the same community. If your store isn't big into modern or legacy or, or whatever format, right? Like if yeah. your store is modern centric, you might have a hard time getting legacy cards, for example. Yeah. Um, by going to these events, it obviously opens up, you know, more avenues because now you're dealing with stores, one, that operate that may operate on a much larger level. A lot of yeah. the GP vendors are, you know, they have a much larger operation. And then, you know, that pro- that obviously allows them to have access to a larger stock that, you're, mm-hmm. that you know, your game store may not be able to carry. And, you know, there's certain advantages there. You may be able to find deals, especially for stores, you know, in the case that, you know, if they have a legacy scene but not a modern scene, for example, mm-hmm. you, you may be able to pick up deals on, on some modern cards you may need on cheap. Yeah. So. yeah. so 
I'm not sure if I said what the, today's topic is going to be yet, but I'm, just in case I haven't. So today we're talking about basically what it's like inside big events in Japan. For example, like the Magic Fest or like the Big Magic Opens or whenever somebody goes to one of those over here, what can they expect? So that was my first question. So the next question I kind of want to, I want to focus a little bit more on, on trading. We, we, you talked a little bit about how, um, you know, it it's... Uh, kind of going to be affected by you know being able to sell to vendors now but uh before that before that happened or maybe just in general now do you think it's easier to trade in japan or is it more difficult to trade in japan um like not so much finding oh well, i guess finding somebody with what you want maybe that maybe that's uh what i'm what i'm going for here yeah, so I certainly have noticed that in my time in Japan, trading on the floor can be a little bit difficult, mainly because there's a huge prevalence of just backpack dealers walking around. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of people walking around with, you know, pretty fat binders. Um, obviously, you know, they're more or less operating the same way that, you know, vendors do. They're trying to make sure that they can profit from the transaction wherever they trade. There's just, you know, no money exchanging hands. Mm-hmm. So, um, it can be a little, little bit difficult, mainly, you know, there, if, especially if there's a language barrier as well. Uh, personally, I don't trade very much anymore, so I can't really speak to my experience. Um, I'm kind kind I'm kind of past the point where I carry around a binder and trade with people. Um, so you used to do it a lot. I, I used to do it back in, uh, my younger days as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I've, I've trying to grind, grind that value. I, I've I certainly moved away from that, so yeah. it's not really something that I have to do anymore. So yeah, so I I haven't. I mean, my personal experience, um, I usually try to stay away from the backpack dealers. Uh, I've actually had pretty good trading experiences with just like normal Japanese players, you mm -hmm. know, trying to just get a card that they want to usually get really good value. Uh, or close, close if not the same value of cards, you know that that I'm trading for. Right, right. Uh, so I guess that was kind of what I was asking. Like, if you're trading with people in Japan, can you expect, you know, somebody to value grind you, or do you think it's easier to make trades? Um, I I, I do think trading is possible. I think you have to find them. I guess mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily always the most obvious, right? Because when you have, when people sit down, so they start trading, you generally have a lot of, you know, the backpack vendor types that tend to aggregate to the same area. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, if you're going off the bean path and you, you know, you just want to trade casually, your best bet may be to find people who are, you know, sitting, sitting by themselves or sitting and just playing with someone else. And they just have their yeah. binder next to them type thing. Yeah, um, you know it, it. It's it's pretty clear who the backpack vendors are, right? You're looking at the people that have four or five binders next to them, and all they have is foils and candelabras and <laughs> right, right, dual lands power, yeah. right? Like that's, yeah, that, that's also kind of the downside of trading with them. If you're trying to find, you know, these cards just to round out your deck or something, that's yeah, that's you know, yeah, that, actually, that's that's a good point. So, what can you expect? I mean, from from your experience, from what you've seen, what kind of cards do you think are most prevalent? Uh, you know, for example, in the trading uh, community at these big events. Um, 
Okay. Like what format? Again, it's hard. It's hard for me to say because I haven't done it in a while. But I know like a lot of people, a lot, a lot of these, excuse me, backpack vendor types that mm-hmm. do that that do this. They generally need a way to cash out in, in mm-hmm. some form. And usually, when you go through their binders, they more or less have kind of just the heavy hitter type cards. So usually, you see like a lot of foils, masterpieces, legacy type cards. Um, mm-hmm. That's that, that that's generally what you see the most of. So you may be a little bit hard pressed to find you know cheaper modern staples or standard cards, etc. Yeah. Uh, through through them. So you should be able. So basically, what we can say is, in Japan, you could probably expect to find legacy cards or maybe some modern cards uh, in the trading areas. Yes. But maybe standards a little bit more difficult to come by. Less people have standard. Less people. Less people have standard, and if they do, it's probably going to be kind of the bigger cards, right? Like if they have them, you'll probably be able to find Hydroid Crisis or Deferi or something. You're less likely mm-hmm. to find like the sub ten dollar cards that yeah that you want to round out your deck for example is this the same in in the like the usa or other countries you you visited do most people just have like the legacy and modern cards uh that's kind of the same thing um channel fireball has actually kind of cracked down on it um for the most part uh the backpack vendors you mean uh, the, yeah yeah the backpack vendors for the most part you don't really see a lot of them anymore uh channel fireball they ever since they implemented the rule about uh not number of trays or whatever number of binders you can carry um if it looks like you're trying to shark someone they'll ask you to leave um Mm -hmm. a lot of that has kind of curbed the amount of backpack vendors that come in um Mm -hmm. sometimes you still see it but it's one of those things where if if you know if someone from the staff or something or judge if they see you doing this they'll more or less ask you to shut it down pack it up Mm -hmm. um so much less prevalent, but I'm sure there's still, you know, deals with people going on outside in the lounge area or in a hotel across the street yeah. or something. Right, so I have another similar question. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about the different formats and whatnot as far as, like, what kind of stuff gets traded. But what kind of events do you think have the best trading? For example, like if it's a legacy Magic Fest or a modern Magic Fest or a standard Magic Fest, so like which ones do you think usually have like the most? How can I say the most value being traded? Um, certainly the older events. So generally, kind of the the high profile events, as it were, certainly draws you know more of an international presence in this mm-hmm. in the states. For example, Eternal Weekend is probably one of the heavy hitters. You have a lot of people coming in with a lot of money. You have you regularly have deals where people are trying to trade unlimited power into beta power, etc. as people mm-hmm. want to upgrade their cards. Um, these are all things that you should more or less come to expect at the bigger events. Uh, same with uh, Magic Fest Atlanta. That was a few weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It was legacy, so you have plenty of international vendors coming in trying to offload old school legacy etc um same with so in, in japan all the modern and legacy events then basically are good, yeah, good for trading yeah yeah so the the analog would be when shizoka rolled through about a year ago mm-hmm. uh, last i want to say last november um it was there, there were some there were several uh factors going on but it was a double it was a double header so there was both a modern and legacy gp um is it modern and legacy or was it standard and legacy? I can't remember. 
standard standard did I, did I say modern legacy i'm sorry i meant standard Le- yeah standard yeah. legacy um, i think you get a lot of overlap with players in japan as far as like a lot of the modern players also play legacy right right um <clears throat> so having them on yeah. the same weekend's not good yeah so standard yeah. legacy you're right but yeah. but legacy being there it being four days that that certainly drew in you know a lot of people that may not otherwise come um but because it's again kind of a bigger event there was there were a lot more vendors or a lot more players etc so uh like you said you know legacy and modern uh good events for trading in in japan um with the people you have traded with i'm guessing you you've met a lot of people from different countries yes so, like, what kind of people, or not what kind of people, so I'm sorry, but which people from what, what, what countries can you expect to meet trading, like, at a, a, a GP? I know I've run into, like, a lot of people from, like, Taiwan, a lot of people from China. Um, can you think of any other people that usually you end up trading with when you're at a GP? Yeah, so in Japan, um, you have a lot of Southeast Asia, so Singapore, Taiwan, mm-hmm. China, Hong Kong. You certainly see some Australians uh, make mm-hmm. their way up. Uh, beyond that... Some people from Malaysia, maybe, I think, sometimes. Yeah, Singapore, Malaysia. Um, Korea. Do we say Korea? Maybe we say Korea. There's definitely a place from Korea as well. Yeah. Uh, but those are the ones that, in my experience, I've seen the most. Uh, mainly because, you know, you do this enough, you see a lot of familiar faces at these mm-hmm. events. Uh, if it's big enough, you definitely see some Europeans come over as well. Um I seem have, I seem to be like among the last of the Americans that come over. Still, a mm-hmm. lot of my friends who have done this have kind of stopped doing it, and I think unless of, there's some other big event going on, so they can kill two birds with one stone, right? Yeah, I think I think a big part of it is that the way that Channel Firewall has uh, presented the GP schedule, it always seems like you generally have a choice, and a lot of times it seems like people opt to go to whatever's closer or convenient. Yeah. So, yeah. um, as opposed to, you know, making the 6,000 mile trek or whatever. Have you been to any of the other countries in Asia for, for Magic Fest? Uh, I have been to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in Taipei earlier this year and I have been mm-hmm. to Australia. So when, when you go there, I'm just, I'm just wondering if like trading styles are different is how people trade in Korea or how people trade in, in Taiwan different from like Japan. Um, so to be perfectly honest, a lot of the Asian locations are more or less just a Japan light, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of Japanese players that go to them. Um, so you more or less, same kind of deal. You see the same, you know, backpack grinders. You see the same type of people that will make the trek through um, through Asia. So it, mm-hmm. realistically, it's it's I wouldn't say it's actually any different at all. Is it easier or more difficult to trade overseas, like in Singapore or Taiwan? Again, same same kind of deal. It's you see a lot of the same people. I wouldn't say it's really different. Um, okay. So, obviously, there will always be a local player base that that will always be there to trade with. But for the most part, you see kind of the same group of backpack vendors just you know make their way around. And now I've I've heard that like like in other countries, you know, they, they don't really have a full fleshed out community for like all the formats yet. You know, I heard like. Korea. I, I had somebody on my my podcast the other week talking about Korea, mm-hmm. and I think he said in Korea, modern's recently gotten really big, but there's like no legacy players. Maybe I, he said there's like no EDH players, but I, he, I guess a lot of people play standard, mm-hmm. though. So like for example, if you ever went to 
to Korea, you'd want to take like modern and, and standard cards to trade. So I wonder, is there any other advice you could give us, you know, that from what, what whatever you know about, you know, those, uh, how can I say, MTG communities in Asia, like, will you have success trading, you know, legacy cards in Taiwan? Um, or, or if you go to Thailand, you know, would you be able to trade standard cards? You know, like that sort of thing. Right. Again, like, and that's not really something I can tru- okay. truly speak to from experience. Again, I, I'm not out on the trade floor trying to, you know, grind out with people. Yeah. Um, but, like, th- there are certainly places where, like you mentioned, these kind of underdeveloped communities mm-hmm. um, are, are present mainly because, you know, they may not have the influx of cards that make it necessary to you know, start playing Legacy, for example, if you don't have a critical mass of dual lands available yeah. to you, it may be a little bit hard to pick them up, right? Like, this, yeah. old, um, or, you know, if EDH isn't a thing, we, we all know that EDH doesn't really exist in Japan in large, mm-hmm. you know, it's nowhere near as prevalent as in the United States or Europe, for example. It's like 10%, um, right, maybe right. 15% of right. the other countries. Right, so it really depends on the country. It's, again, it's hard to say, like, I... I, because I'm not out there just grinding on the trade floor, I can't really speak to this. This a lot of this is either hearsay or how I, yeah, how, how I interact with members of the community and how I see them and what cards are. Yeah, buying. I'm, I'm I'm asking because I know that you have a lot of contacts, right. you know, with with other traders and with, uh, you know, you know, people that work the shops and whatnot. So right. maybe you had the the down low, you know. Right. right. Um. So yeah, they have the. Uh, Commander Zone, I think, coming to uh, Magic Fest Nagoya. Yes. So I wonder, do you think that'll have any kind of impact on? I mean, just this, this is more like a finance question, but do you think uh, having these types of events in Japan will create a, a bigger market for EDH cards in the future? Uh, so it's just to back up and just to kind of elaborate on this, in case anyone wasn't aware, uh, Command Zone was something that they had. Uh, experimented with in uh magic Fest las vegas a little while ago mm-hmm. back in uh at the end of august um that one it was a fairly resounding success um basically so commander gp basically right uh not quite that but basically what you're buying is you buy badge it gives you access to basically a roped off area you have to show your badge to get in it comes with a special soul ring promo i believe mm-hmm. uh, buying the badge got you a foil one which more or less paid for the badge itself. There were definitely vendors mm-hmm. paying like $100, which was the cost of the badge. Um, That's for the foil soul ring. For the foil uh, soul ring, yes. Yeah, they're doing a regular one this time, I heard. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure how it was distributed. But um, but basically, it was kind of its own area. You They provide you with these little um, flags, as it were, you could attach to your badge. That would either say, you know, that would either have your commander's uh, color identities or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the style if you're looking for a competitive EDH or casual EDH. And it kind of allowed you to just mingle with other people, meet up, hang out, just jam games kind of at your leisure type thing. And it was definitely a success. I think kind of bringing it uh, due to success, they had uh, expanded so every quarter for Magic Fest will actually have these... Um, command zone areas in mm. addition to in the u.s they're actually having command fests specifically where you have to buy a badge to enter um but it's basically just all commander all the time type thing 
So how how popular do you think it'll be in Japan? Um, I, I know think, there's a lot of foreigners that are excited about it. Right, right. So I think I think this may this kind of may be how a lot of Japanese players kind of get their foot in the door to mm-hmm. EDH, as it were. Um, I, I think just kind of the exposure to it might more or less kind of pique their interest um, to see, hey, you know, this is available. This is something that if you know, I if I'm not a standard player, for example, I don't only like to play modern, but it's a standard Grand Prix, I don't want to play standard. At least there may be an avenue yeah. for me to kind of dip my toes in Commander and you know, explore, see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think maybe I have like one or two more questions I wanted to talk about before I let you go. So I wanted to kind of shift focus a little bit more to like the, the vendor side. And like you said, you've been coming here for a few years. Um, you've been to quite a number of uh, Magic Fests. And only recently, you said last year in, I believe, what, September or something at Shizuoka, mm-hmm. uh, they allowed vendors to buy from uh, players. So what do you know like about the history of that situation? So like before they didn't allow you know, people to sell to vendors in Japan. Now they do. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know any, can you give us any information like why that was? Uh, did, did anybody ever explain that to you? To my understanding, it was a legal thing. Um, they're very strict about having the proper licensing to be able to sell secondhand goods, which is what, mm-hmm. you know, magic singles are, uh, to be able to purchase them as a vendor. And so I think they, I'm not sure if they were able to, I don't know if it's changing the law necessarily or making it so that it allows people to be compliant and um, have these present. Because I know um, there have been GPs where there have been foreign vendors who have come in and they aren't able, they aren't able to buy because they'll, uh, because they'll only have these, um, these licenses available for you know, Japanese, for, 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 uh, for Japanese vendors, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I again, to my understanding, I think that's kind of kind of the background on it. Um, and I've actually heard. Like, from... why, why, why do you think they only just allowed it now? Like, it, is it? I mean, was it really a law that was changed, or was it? Because it seems like it happened almost immediately after Channel Fireball took over. Um, so, to my understanding, this was actually, it was actually possible for vendors to buy quite a while ago this i mean this well before i started coming here mm-hmm. i think i think they want like i want to say like back in like 2010 or something so mm-hmm. it was possible at one point and i think i imagine that there are probably like issues that came up that just mm-hmm. that that made them so they just probably just applied a blanket rule that no buying is allowed mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not i'm not completely sure like what exactly what changed what was the tipping point but again, it probably relatively recent development. So. Is 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 the change? Would you say that the change overall is a good thing? Uh, I do, I do. I think um, by having that whole experience, I do think it kind of gives vendors one. It gives them their avenue to buy cards. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely good for them because you know that's it's a. a the big draw of coming to Grand Prix, and certainly in the United States, is it allows vendors for a way to be buying cards. Because for the most yeah. for the most part, people don't really have a problem selling cards. People, whether it be through a storefront like a retail store um, or online, selling cards is definitely easy. You know, there's you know, if you run a successful business, it's there's mm-hmm. always there's always more people wanting to sell cards 
but buying cards is usually the bottleneck. It's way too easy to sell two cards too quickly, and uh, Magic Fest is kind of a way where, because you have so many people coming in from everywhere, people that you might not otherwise have exposure to, mm-hmm. being able to buy cards is more or less how you provide a buffer to your inventory. Yeah, and I think there's, well, compare. I guess I'm thinking compared to other countries, I think Japan's got a lot more small stores. Yes. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, definitely agree. Definitely agree. Lots of, you know, just uh, small businesses by even, like, small business standards. Um, Smaller than, like, USA or... Yeah, I've definitely been to stores where you have, like, the owner-operator is more or less a full-time employee at the store. Yeah. And he's the only one type thing. Um, I, I, I've definitely been to a few of those stores. So, um, yeah, does does this uh like even the playing field you think between like the the big shops you know in, in Japan like Hallelujah and you know uh, Big Magic and like the smaller shops, um, you know with them having the ability to kind of decide you know how much they want to pay for cards and getting the cards they need I mean, uh, I mean they're never gonna have as much volume of course right um. Yes and no. I think I think just the way that Channel Fireball has structured the cost of the booth, kind of just mm-hmm. the logistics, I still think it's a fairly big challenge for a store to go from just being a small storefront, especially as a one-man operation or whatever. Uh, even with a few people, um, it, it's certainly kind of a big logistical challenge to be able to get over that hump and start vending Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking at you know, bring a big bankroll. Um, how do you manage staff? You know, do you like to shut down your store? Do you pull inventory from your store to mm-hmm. sell to GP? Um, you know, once you start getting down and having to make banners, for example, right? Like, how do you have showcases if you don't go out uh, to these events where people are able to have these kind of travel showcases? You know, all these things certainly add up to your costs and just you know, make it very difficult for a first timer to kind of get their foot in the door. Hmm. Right, I got one more and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. I want to talk a little bit about like prices, not only like the prices that the vendors have in Japan compared to like overseas, but also like if you're going to be trading at an event, you know, for example, uh, you know, you want to like a legacy event or a modern event. How do people, price their things like in your experience is there like a website that people use when when you've traded in japan or sold stuff in japan or is it like each store is like their own thing can you shed some light on that yeah i think each store more or less wants their own thing you obviously have big magic and haruya kind of as the the pillars in the sense that they're more or less the price leaders right people have to beat their prices more or less beat their prices right because as a rep as basically as a reference point if people have no idea about what stores exist here most likely they've heard of big magic most likely they've heard of haruya mm-hmm. um so people if you know people want to reference something on this you know japanese foil or these japanese cards or whatever they're probably going to look at those places first right that's just yeah that's just kind of the nature of having branding right it's similar to us people go to SCG people look or, at Star City or people look at TCG player and yeah. just you know reference their price from there yeah but so if you're coming over can you expect to get TCG and uh, uh, what do you call it, like SCG prices on things in Japan um, in theory it's possible there are definitely stores that 
pay well. There are stores that they know that Grand Prix are their, you know, the big draw is bringing people from overseas. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they started, we've seen stores start to use hot buy lists as a mm-hmm. way to, Hey, let's, you know, let's try and let's try and get people, let's try and draw people in with these like big flashy numbers. Um, so there are definitely cards that, you know, in theory in the U S uh, you know, people could bring over here because they perform better here than the U.S. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was going to ask. Is like I know, like a lot of of uh, like you said, the inventory is really low on a lot of stuff. So, is it a, a lot of potential to make you know money on selling stuff in Japan? Um, the potential is there. It's certainly gotten harder over time, um, mainly because with how freely information travels, with how much networking there is going on between the vendors, uh, with how much. You know, just simply information is out there for people. Um, it's it's definitely a little bit more difficult. The gap has, you know, certainly closed mm-hmm. on uh, a lot of these things. It's you know, it's no secret. It's no secret to basically the world that Japan is kind of a goldmine for EDH cards for casual yeah. cards. Yeah, um, And uh, they they this is something they certainly picked up on over the years as well. Um, from I mean, it's the second biggest, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like the second biggest MTG. Uh, market right uh, after the USA and Europe's probably uh, Europe is close. second. Is it yeah? Europe is second. Japan is probably the third biggest market in the world for Magic. Because I know, like in in Europe, it's all about modern and legacy. It's more about the eternal formats, right? Like, right. But like, as far as like everything all together, I thought it was Japan. So okay, so top three. Yes. Yes. Um. So um, just kind of, just kind of the sheer volume of stores, and just you know, again, how much information is available to people. It's, it's not, you know, it's not as easy as it was before. Even since I started doing this, um, a lot of the good, uh, kind of the good angles have, mm-hmm. you know, they, they certainly narrowed. They're not, again, as free as they were before. Yeah. Um, as, as a lot of the Japanese vendors have started to catch on. Okay. All right. Last question. So this is kind of just like a wrap up here. Um, since it, you know, the whole selling to vendors and, uh, you know, trading with vendors or whatever is like a new thing to people in Japan, do you have any advice, any tips for bargaining or for, for working with the vendors over here? Um, so I'll give the same advice I give people to, uh, whenever they, whenever they present, Hey, how do I sell my collection? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's the same rule of thumb as just any business. Um, the more work you put in, the more likely you're going to get out of it. Um, if you just sit down and just you know with a vendor just say, hey, price out my collection, they may not be inclined to give you the best numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So what I would say to do is go about ogre boxing your stuff. Figure out you know what a store if you can find if it's a local game store or one of the bigger stores, find out what they sell cards for. And then, well, I guess well, I'm talking more about at like a, a, a magic fest. Right, right. So um, what you want to do is you want to figure out what they sell their cards for and then kind of make it ogre box and mm-hmm. price the cards that you want accordingly. So, you know, something sells for like a thousand yen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they sell for a thousand yen, a realistic asking price is probably like 600, 700 if it's particularly good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if And I would go through and then just, you know, make a box. And then just, you know, say, okay, all the cards in this, you know, stack, I want 100 yen on all these cards. Mm-hmm. I want 150, 200, mm-hmm. etc. And by pricing it out in advance and the vendors more or less knowing what you're wanting on your cards, 
and they'll be like, yeah, I can do that. Right. And I was going to give them this 70 cents, but yeah, if they want 100 yen, I'll do that. Right, right. So by kind of pre-pricing and doing the work for them. Yeah. Kind so of... being realistic and pre-pricing. Yeah. Right, right. So like, you know, like, are you, you know, you can go around, look at the hot buy list and see what people are paying and you probably pull out mm-hmm. your hot buy list cards. But by doing this in advance, um, saves them work and work is the thing they don't want to do <laughs> right right and it saves them time right because you know you don't want to get bogged down with you know sitting there with someone trying to negotiate okay i can offer you a thousand i want more than that you know i want 1200 okay like how can we how do we meet in the middle by knowing mm-hmm. what you want on your cards in advance it kind of one kind of takes out that awkward bargaining process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just and it just speeds up the process and I, I i can say that as a vendor in the u.s whenever i'm buying from someone if they have someone does that you're like nice if they do that i may be slight <laughs> I, I may be slightly more inclined to overpay because uh. it, it just makes the process faster mm-hmm. right as opposed to trying to look look up on every single card right like if yeah you know if you have a four and i have it on my list at like 3.5 or three right like it's probably not the end of the world right especially mm-hmm. if you know if i pick up a deal somewhere else in the box that may be yeah. below my buy list for example or something yeah right so um I would say that's how you kind of maximize your process, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I th- Like, one of the worst things you can do to a vendor is, you know, say, like, hey, here's my collection, I, or I want to sell this deck. They give you a number, and then you walk off, and you keep shopping it around, right? Because yeah. that's, that's how a lot of vendors get frustrated, mainly because you just took up you just took up their buyer seat, you just took up their time, and then they, yeah. they didn't get the deal out of it. So Well, that's good to know. I mean, this is helpful for me, you know, when I go to my next uh, magic fest i want to sell stuff i'll definitely do that mm-hmm. all right well is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today any other topics or no no i think that's oh. uh that was a big that part very, well very interesting very enlightening lots of uh, new information for me to get for me today so really appreciate you coming on again um so uh, I think that's going to do it for today's show. And, uh, you know, we, we hope that, you know, our listeners out there enjoyed uh, us talking about MTG in Japan. And hopefully you'll come back uh, and learn more about the comings and goings of MTG in Japan and Asia uh, the next time we have a show. Hopefully I'll have another one out in a couple weeks here. I'm going to be preparing for Magic Fest uh, Nagoya. Um, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter at Yoshwenki, which is Y O S C H W E N K Y. And you can also contact me through my website www uh sorry www.thejapanhobbyist.com do you want to talk about your stuff real quick ed yeah um i'm edwin i'm a vendor with tales of adventure in the u.s i also have my own company as well uh you guys can find me on twitter at edwin 13 uh you guys can listen to my weekly podcast i do with uh the cartel aristocrats at uh cartel underscore finance on twitter Mm-hmm. Uh, we do record every Monday, roughly U.S. time. The show usually comes out later in the week when we have a chance to edit it. Um, I unfortunately will not be in Nagoya. Um, I do have another obligation at uh, Command Fest Seattle, actually. So I Ooh, will be nice. there for that one instead. Um, You're like from the West Coast, right? So that's like super close for you. Yeah, I'm currently living in Portland, Oregon. So Seattle is a short three-hour drive for me. Nice. Uh, it is unfortunate I'm missing on Nagoya. I think this is the first time I've missed a Japanese GP in like two years or something. So Nagoya food is so good. <laughs> yeah, be sure to listen to my uh, podcast about it so we can make you miss it even more. I will definitely tune in for that. So yeah, <clears throat> very cool. All right, all right. Well, thanks again for coming on. All right, thanks again, Ryan, for having me. 